KVET is our local number. Come on in and join us. Uh, we're going to talk about something that, that I haven't really had too much of a chance to delve into over the years, and it's uh, kind of a surprise to me and a little bit of a little bit of a shame. Uh, one of my hobbies, is, as most of you know, is, is military history. It's it's odd that one of the wars of of this particular time I really haven't haven't had a chance to look at that much. But today we're going to get a chance to uh, to take a look at it. It's the a specific campaign of the uh, Korean War. And we could probably spend uh, quite a bit of time talking about the uh, Korean War itself. And I suspect we will delve into a little bit of the background of it to work our way up to this particular campaign. The uh, campaign's been called by a lot of different names. The survivors of it have been called by uh, a lot of different names. The Chosen Few is one. It's the... Uh, the Battle of the uh, Chosen Reservoir, or the Frozen Chosen, as it was uh, <laughs> as it was known by some folks. We've got uh, Donald Childs and Emmett yep. Shelton, both uh, Marine Corps veterans and also veterans of the uh, the Chosen Reservoir campaign. Gentlemen, I welcome you to uh, to KVET. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about, I guess, where we probably ought to start is what. What led you into the uh, the Chosin Reservoir area, and that probably goes back a little bit before basic training, even for you, uh, as to what led the United States into Korea in the first place. Would you, would you think that'd be a good place to start? Uh, to give you a little background uh, about the the Chosin organiz- uh, war, as it was, or campaign, or police action, whatever. If they, it looks like a war, smells like a war, it probably ain't a duck. You're <laughs> about it. Uh, the the Korean conflict, if you will, dates uh, back to World War II, and it, uh, prior to World War II, Japan had control of Korea. It was a satellite, one of their protectorates or whatever, and they had taken it and held it for many, many years. And when the Japanese were defeated, the uh, United Nations and uh, the peacekeeping group at that time divided Korea as they took it away from Japan, north of the 30th parallel, they gave the control to Russia, and south of the 30th parallel, they gave the responsibility to the United States to uh, control and to help rebuild this uh, this country. Now, at the same time, the uh, Chinese had been, of course, fighting the Japanese, and yet in China there were two factions. One was the communists under Mao and the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek. And uh, during this activity, during World War II, uh, Chiang Kai-shek had actually uh, issued uh, licenses to the old Chinese warlords back in the mountains to pillage and to uh, uh, ambush the uh, convoys of war supplies trying to go to the front to fight the Japanese. Now, wait a minute. This was our friend that had issued these orders. This was our friend. Put that word in quotations and underline that puppy. Chiang Kai-shek. He issued warlords licenses, and these copies of these things are available. But the idea was that Chiang was definitely looking toward using this material to fight his uh, friend of the North, the Mao, who was a communist, of course. Now, well, Chiang had been a communist earlier in his, his life. I believe that is correct. Yeah. Now, Mayo uh, had an incredibly uh, strong army. He had been fighting for years and years and years. His people were uh, accustomed to it. They they really uh, were hardened uh, uh, 
good soldiers. And uh, when uh, the World War II was over and uh, Mayo and uh, Chiang Kai-shek faced off, so to speak, Mayo did a good job of pretty well running over the nationalist group in Chiang, and uh, they were pushed off onto Taiwan. Now, this, this happened about the same time that the North Koreans, who were, again, communists, were looking at that very fruitful South portion of their country, and uh, they wanted it real bad. And they then attacked South Korea uh, with the idea of taking it over and unifying it under the communists. However, Mao uh, was sitting over here now. He had gotten rid of Chiang Kai-shek. He was out of the way, and he had this incredibly large army and nothing to do with it. And this this is bad news. They, you have to keep an army active to to keep it up to up to par. So uh, and you can dig only so many holes and fill them back up. Yeah, yeah that's about the size of it. But uh, as the situation in in Korea uh, began to develop, he certainly had an eye on it. Now. The North Koreans uh, attacked South Koreans, and everything was going along. However, the United Nations said, no, that's not nice. You're not supposed to do that. So they created a United Nations force, to peacekeeping force, to go in and uh, push the North Koreans back past the 38th parallel. Now, was that the United States' first military involvement in, uh, in Korea, uh, other than administrative? Yes. Uh, actually, the... Uh, United Nations forces uh, had uh, allow, or had the United States in there uh, as a peacekeeping force, mm -hmm. a very skeleton crew, you might say. They were embassy people, they were a few administrators and whatever and whatever, but and post troops to but some administrative degree. training and advising and that sort of thing. Just about the size of it. So uh, these troops, when the North started coming in, these troops were more or less forced into making a defensive action, and boy, they had a tough time because the North Koreans were pretty good troops at that time. They really gave the what U.S. forces were in there, which again was very skeleton, they gave them a real bad time. In fact, they pushed them all the way down to the southeastern tip of the of the island of the peninsula. Now, this. Uh, bought time. These guys did a tremendous job because their delaying tactics bought time for U.S. and, and England and others to, to get some United Nations forces as such organized and get them in there to start uh, uh, holding the communists and start pushing them back. Now, as all this took place, uh, the Marine Corps had the uh, uh, Brigade, uh, which was formed incredibly fast, and they were the advanced troops representing, you might say, the Marine Corps and United Nations forces. They were advanced forces that uh, Mr. Sheldon here was a member of, and, and they went in and they helped uh, again to stem the tide to hold the North Koreans until the other troops could come in. Now again, when the United Nations forces started pushing the North Koreans back, they came to the 38th parallel, and they, uh, MacArthur got permission uh, as commander to continue pushing them on up and to, in effect, in effect, neutralize the North Korean army. Now, at this time, Brother Mayo sitting across the border there, he said, mm, that doesn't look too good. And uh, when the United Nations forces got close to the Yalu River, 
Mayo simply turned his Ninth Chinese Army under General Sung against the United Nations forces. And that's, that's where we come in. We're, we're, we're right about the anniversary. It's kind of hard to... Now we're coming into the time frame yeah. when things begin to happen. It was just about this time of year when it, when it really yeah. got sticky. It's kind of hard to put a specific date on the Chinese attack at the Chosin Reservoir. There were a couple attacks, probing attacks and, and so on, but we are right around the anniversary of the main thrust. You're right. Just within a day or two. If, if today may not, may in fact be one of the anniversaries of one of the, uh, the around, attacks. Around November 27, 28 is, is when it really began to take place. Yeah, now Emmett, you were up there, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, there you are sitting in a pup tent. You know no, what's no, coming? we didn't even have a pup tent. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, see, so there you are sitting in the snow. Right. Several weeks before, the, the, the Chinese had come in and probed. Uh, both the 8th Army and the 7th Marines were in the, in the point at that time, 7th Marine Regiment, and uh, the 7th Marines just kicked the fool out of them. And they... they, they that was they, a probing attack. Right. Yeah. They did pr pretty bad damage to the 8th Army, so they just said, well, we're going to wipe out the 7th Marines. Mm -hmm. that, in the couple of weeks between the two attacks, the 7th had moved on up on the east side of the Chosen Reservoir. The 5th Regiment was over on the east side of the Chosen Reservoir, and... Uh, they decided the 5th was going to take the point, so that we pulled our whole regiment back and, and had to go around the end of the, the south end of the reservoir and work our way back up. Now, they've got two rut roads over there, so you didn't move anything very fast. So we moved up to take the point. Well, they came in to wipe out the 7th Regiment, and there were two regiments there. There were the 5th and the 7th. They called Don out there on an the outpost, and he can tell you about that a little later on. But we moved up, and our particular outfit, the 1st Italian did not get up there until after dark, and I'm sure it got colder nights after that. That was the coldest night of my, night of my life. I mean, my you just shook clear to your bones. Was it from cold or fear or both? I never have figured out which, but uh, long, I don't know what time it was. Man says a well-trained soldier's not afraid. He's lying. <laughs> He's lying. Uh, it, was, it was real dark uh, up there, and all of a sudden, we had the most brilliant fireworks display you ever saw. The the Chinese shot a blue-green tracer, and we shot red tracers, and uh, I think there's about one out of four are tracers, and they would hit, and they don't stop. They hit, and they glance, and they go all over the place, and then here came mortars and all the phosphorus shells and everything, and you'd hear these old Marine sergeants, somebody get kicked off the hill, and you'd hear them, get your butts back up there and chase them back up the hill, because if the enemy got your position, you're going to have to take it back. And, but now we understand the Marine Corps never did talk like that when it was just by holding... Well, I, I'm kind of made that mild compared to what we really heard. There, there was one fellow up there, a fellow named Yancey. He was a second lieutenant at that time. He was hit. He continued to lead his men. They were being overrun all this time, and he was hit again. Finally, a mortar shell hit close to him and knocked his eye out of the socket, and he poked it back in his head and continued to fight. Now, brother, that is heroism. Is Whatever happened to Yancey? He didn't get the Medal of Honor, and we're still trying to get one for him. There were. He did he, make it back, though? He got back. He's dead now. He made our first reunion in Washington, D.C., and maybe California, I'm not sure. But uh, he's passed on now. Yeah. And, uh, but he was a heck of a fighting man. Did y'all know what was coming? Well, we knew the Chinese were there, and we kept sending information back to Tokyo, but uh, MacArthur said we were going to be home by Christmas, and he didn't want to change his plans. Now, why was he saying that? Because the guys around him were too afraid of him to, to buck him. Uh, that's what he wanted to hear, and he put he surrounded himself with people that said what he wanted to hear. Uh, 
General Smith, the Marine. So what you're saying is, is what many people consider to be America's greatest field general. That's right. I do too. Uh, yeah, and I do. I, I concur with that. But he fell victim to the notion that his judgment was infallible and surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men. This is a gentleman and an officer who bucked Washington at every turn during World War II, was hoisted on his own petard in Korea. Right. That's incredible. He, uh, we fortunately had General Smith, who was the head of the 1st Marine Division, and we were supposed to cover about 120 miles with a division <clears throat> in small groups. Well, had the Chinese caught us like that, we'd have been wiped out. We would never have existed anymore. But we couldn't get our supplies up there quick enough, so Smith was, was uh, stalling, trying to get his men unified so that he would have a perimeter that he could defend in case they did hit, and he just happened to have it that way. All except Don's outfit again. Yeah. <laughs> there he was out there on a little outpost on top of a lonely hill all by themselves, a little company. Well, we're going to talk about getting hung out to dry here in just a minute. <laughs> right. Let me take a short time out. And